We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings. Smash the like, sub to the channel, because we have a very special show. I was a guest on Sia Najad's show, which you can go follow at Sia Najad Sports on YouTube, where he does a lot of different interviews across the industry. He, I mean, he just showed why he's a very good host, very intuitive host. And we talk about that. Uh, essentially, he asked me about my career and what I went through. And people seem to like the show. So I asked him if I could repurpose it on the Pat Mayo experience, where you just get a lot of me both being a guest and talking about myself, my favorite topic in the world myself, but how I broke into the industry, some of the struggles that I went through in order to you know, create a niche in order to get paid and what you guys can potentially do if you're in the content creation business, especially at this point in time to try to break in because while access is much easier these days, competition continues to ramp up. And even for people working in the industry, we just talk about how do you compete against people doing the same thing that you do but are willing to do it for free and how that can cap how much money you can make. Because in this industry, as I point out, people who do well make a lot of money. People who don't do well make almost no money. There's no middle class of the industry right now. But I do think that even though you might seem like you're late to the game, still no better time to get in. And the barrier for entry, especially in terms of equipment, high-quality equipment, has never been easier or cheaper at that point. So these are all things that Sia and I touch on. I talk about broadcasting school, my early years, writing for free, working my way up, and different things that I did in order to get a foothold in the industry. So I really enjoyed this chat. People have told me they've enjoyed it. So I think that you will enjoy it too, all right? And down in the comments section, tell me some other shows, not necessarily of this ilk, but in the same space that maybe you would want to hear from in the future. And always retweet this show around. Uh, word of mouth, football is coming soon, so we want to get everything up and going for that because, hey, football season is money season, as you will find out as a part of this chat. All right? Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody, to Sia Najad Sports. Really special guest 
tonight. It's none other than maybe the first person I ever listened to on a podcast. I don't know if that's true, but I'm pretty sure it is. It's none other than I just made you feel super old. And I didn't mean to. It's not like it was two decades ago, Pat, but none other than Pat Mayo. Pat, how you doing? It could have been. I, I did the, my first podcast in 2010. So we're, we're into year 13 of the Pat Mayo experience now. That's right. And so the truth is, I, I don't know when I started listening to podcasts, but the first podcasts I listened to were sports, DFS, gambling related. And, I, and I'm pretty sure it was in the probably 2010 timeframe. So Pat, uh, you are a, a pioneer for sure. But honestly, I'm glad you brought up when your podcast started, because for those of you that are new to this show, or maybe watching it later and are new to this show, this whole show, even though it's named Cien Ajat Sports, it's kind of a misnomer. Because what I really want to talk about is I want to go through the histories of some of my guests and guests and just try to find out how they got to where they are. And maybe in sort of talking about that, we can impart some wisdom on the people that are listening, Pat, and maybe they can take some of the habits that you created or some of the motivations or inspirations that that befell upon you. And maybe they can take those and create their own thing, create their own goals and actually follow through with their own goals. So Pat, I actually want to start from the top. 2010, you started a podcast. My understanding is that at that time you were in broadcasting school. First of all, please tell me if that's correct or not. And tell me why the podcast from the broadcasting school. Okay. So I started the podcast actually before I went to broadcasting school because that was I think it was on Blog Talk Radio was the platform that everyone was using at the time. I had started writing about fantasy football and fantasy baseball in September 2009. That's when I first started. I started my own blog. Maybe that summer. It was right after I graduated from college. Uh, I was like, I got zero prospects on the go here with my super sharp arts degree. Uh, no reasonable job wanted to hire me because I had no experience and then any sort of like sales job or whatever it might be just to go pick up work they were like well you have a degree you're probably not going to stay here for more than two months we are not going to hire you so it was just this like weird combination of nothing going on in my life so it was like yeah I like fantasy sports I've been playing fantasy baseball and fantasy football and fantasy golf and I seem to be quite good at it now this was back in the 2000 like early 2000s and uh, back when there was very People were still drafting from magazines, put it that way. So like every strategy that you have now, I'm not saying that I invented it, but at least you know, I knew where to find those strategies to implement to be very good at this kind of thing. So I just started writing about it. It's like, I like to write. And when you do an arts degree, generally speaking, I mean, I assume you did an arts degree too, because like, you're a lawyer, right? Yeah. So I was a, a double major uh, political science psychology, which it's like, well, what are you going to do with that other than, you know, Total maybe awesome. go to or start a podcast, right? Yeah, so I, I also have a poli-sci degree. Uh, yeah, so super useful stuff there. But it did teach me great research methods. It taught me a lot of critical thinking, especially with like, I took one prof like eight times in college, off, all for my first year through my final year. Uh, and just getting very good at writing. It's where I met Cust as well. We were in the same program. Uh, I met him my final year, my, my senior year of college as when I met him in a sex and politics class. Wow. Crazy stuff. He was wearing a Jets hat, and I just laughed at him the entire time. Uh, either way, so I started writing this blog. I moved to Calgary in with my friend who had just become an engineer, and like he was new to the city. He's like, I bought this house. He's like, you just want to come live here? 
He's like, it's just me. And I work six days on at like camp and six days off. He's like, I won't charge you. I think he charged me 150 bucks rent or something like that. He's like, so some sort of like nominal fee just to have someone at his place. He's like, and it's probably a good change of scenery for you too. Cause I was kind of stuck in a rut. I graduated. Listen, it took me like six years to do college. Cause I kept taking like two credits a semester and like partying the rest of the time. So it took me like five and a half years <laughs> to end up with a degree in political science, which is not really the, the peak of education. So I went out and I did that. And just, I was writing every, I was smoking a lot of weed and writing probably 10 hours a day coming up with new angles and just writing on this random blog that I had started. And I ended up getting picked up by a place called Roto community you know, none of this is paid, by the way. Uh, right. And I took over their football department, their baseball department. It was like seven writers. And I was just kind of writing every for one year for baseball. I think in 2000, going into the 2010 season, I wrote 450 player previews along with all team previews. Very sharp at baseball back in the day. Uh, but writing that much really tuned me out of baseball. So anyway, I ended up moving back home after like eight months. Uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I started the podcast. Cust was my first ever guest on this podcast. And I remember, I remember having a debate with someone. It wasn't Cust. It was about Ubaldo Jimenez and Zach Greinke at the time. And I was using a lot of advanced metrics. Um, and people just weren't in 2010. Some were, some weren't, but most weren't. And I was just like, yeah, like Ubaldo Jimenez is fine and whatever, but like his ex-fip is like two points higher than his actual ERA. Like he's going to regress here after you know May at some point, and people just didn't know what was going on. So uh, <laughs> when, when you see all the, like the the writing awards behind me, it's generally from that time frame. Like one of these, I've just like baseball writer of the year and stuff like that, just because I wrote so heavily about saber metrics and tried to make it as palatable for people as possible but i was home for about two months uh a friend had told me about this like sports exclusive broadcasting school i was like well i'm kind of doing this anyway i'm writing articles i i have a staff job roto experts had just bought roto community at that time i was still not getting paid to do any of the work because hence was the model back in 2010 people did it because they liked to do it and that's yeah i did like to do it but i had to figure out what i was going to do with the rest of my life i was like i feel like i'm pretty good at this I'd like to figure out a way to make money. So I moved to Toronto and went to broadcasting school for the next 18 months. And from there, it was actually quite beneficial being an older student at the school. Like, it's funny how many people from my graduating class and adjacent classes that I was there with, like every two years. Uh, so you have the year up that you people you know and the year down, people you know of the two-year program. But like Garion was in my class. Paul Shaughnessy, who's my producer, was wow. in my class. Cody Saftik uh, was in my class. Like a year below me, Chris Meany was in there. That's where I met all of these people uh, and continued to have relationships with them throughout. But I was like 24 when I went. And that was a really good age because, uh, you know, you didn't need any previous degree or anything like that to get into the program. Like Garion was 17, I think, when I met him uh, the first day of that program. And Cody was 18. Like, people were very, very young. Now, they were very serious about it which was good. But I was like, this is kind of my final kick at the can here. If, if I kind of threw away my entire like education by just partying the entire time, mm -hmm. got nothing real out of it. I probably need to take this a bit more seriously. And there were just so many young people in this program who didn't, who did what I did in college and just you know, didn't take it seriously whatsoever. But I moved in across the street from the school. We had 24 hour access to the school. So I would essentially just, you know, go to class in the morning, do whatever, like, it's this you have to do like a two minute re like sports report it wasn't that hard um once you figured out how to do everything but i learned camera i learned lighting how to do audio how to find the right microphones how to white balance a camera how to edit how to produce how to do all of these things 
and I would be there overnight working on it. And I would just start shooting my own shows. Like mm. we used to do like mock sports center type things with everyone in our, like in our section of the class, it would take like 13 people. Everyone would kind of rotate jobs every day. Like one, one day someone would be the director. They'd be the producer. They'd be the host. They'd be the writer. They'd be the editor, whatever it is. I was like, I think I could do this all. Like if it wasn't live, I feel like I could do this all myself. So I spent a ton of time learning how to do every single job because at the time the conventional wisdom was, and this wasn't just in Canada, this was in the United States or wherever people got into broadcasting. I don't think it's completely gone yet either. I think people still do take this path, but the general way that you got yourself onto TV in a large market, I mean, Toronto's the biggest market in Canada. And the only way that you could get to America was by becoming big enough in Toronto that you got brought down. Like Adnan Verk is a really good example of that. Like mm. Adnan worked with Gabe and Cam at the score for years. And he was just like a standout talent there. And then he went to TSN and TSN and ESPN have their relationship. They're like, holy shit, this guy's really good. So let's bring him down to ESPN. I think Adnan's been in the States ever since. Uh, yeah. He's a very like, big household name. Uh, Jay Onright and Dan O'Toole were big hits on SportsCenter in Canada. And then when FS1 launched, they went down to host their sort of late night show. That was the only real way to get yourself into America. And since I don't really care about hockey, America was the only place that really made any sense to me. So the only way to get back to Toronto, theoretically, was to go work in the smallest town possible. You go to like Medicine Hat, Alberta. I remember Cam, because Cam's about 12 years older, 10, 12 years older than me. He went to like Yellowknife to do broadcasting, which is in the Northwest Territories, population of like 30,000 people. And you're supposed to grind there for two years at a local affiliate. And maybe you can work your way up to some like, small to mid-size type affiliate. And then maybe you can get to Calgary or Winnipeg or Montreal, and then you can get back to Toronto. That was what was in place. And I just took a look at the landscape and I said, well, I'm already writing online. I'm getting some good traction for this. I mean, YouTube had been around, but it's not something like people really utilized so much at the time. It's like, I can self-produce all my own videos. I don't need other people to do this for me. Mm -hmm. So when I would go in overnight, I learned how to do all these shows by myself. And I just kind of started creating three-minute digital shorts, six-minute digital shorts, whatever it might be, and just uploading those to YouTube. And I kind of circumvented the traditional system, which everyone does now, obviously. But at yeah. the time, like the instructors at the school were just giving me these weird looks. I was like, no, I, I don't need to go to buttfuck nowhere. I can just sit at my apartment on a green screen and upload this to the internet. And that worked out much better for me just because more people were able to see it. The people that I needed to see those videos, even though they're not good, by the way, but in 2010, when no one was doing videos, people were like, hey, yeah, this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. By the way, so many sort of um, crossovers here, because you mentioned Adnan. Uh, Adnan. Is that how I, I pronounce? I'm pronouncing it right, right? Adnan? I mean, I always knew him as Adnan Virk. Adnan Virk. Um, you know, because he's with the with the he's with Levitard in, in DraftKings, or at least I think he still is, and, and was doing a show with uh, Chris Cody. Somebody in the chat mentioned uh, Cinephile, which is a show he did with Chris Cody, who has actually been on this show and actually been on your show, Pat, because we did the best sitcom bracket and, and podcasts uh, together. But it's, it's interesting when you were doing the blog, before you did anything, you did the blog, before you did the podcast, before you went to broadcasting school. Two questions. When you were doing the blog and the podcast, were you also working? Did you have like a job that was bringing in income or were you like, I'm not really doing anything right now. Let me at least do this and just see what happens. Yeah, the, the, the latter. I was living at home, yeah. basically in my 
parents in my grandparents basement they took off to fuck where were they they went to like florida for three months or something like that and i was just like can i live at your house while you're gone they're like sure why not so i just lived there okay fair enough so so once you so i'm i'm guessing you chose broadcasting school because you kind of wanted to crystallize the things you had learned and and maybe kind of launch yourself into a market whether it be a small market or a big market to, to kind of get your in the door, if you will. Was that sort of the intention or was the intention of going to broadcasting school to continue to do your own thing? It was to work in fantasy and work in gambling. I just had a very strong passion for that. And as someone who consumed a lot more content at the time than I do now, I found that the sharpest people were writing about that. Like, it doesn't necessarily need to be fantasy or gambling. And I mean, you, we don't really bring his name up anymore, but like, cause he's in jail, but Jonah Carey was someone at the time that, you know, I read a lot about baseball and it wasn't really gambling. It wasn't really fantasy, but it talked about it in terms of probability and what is likely to happen next and make it, making it very easy for someone who didn't know anything about sabermetrics to learn about sabermetrics at the same time. And why are these stats important? And I just thought, I like that kind of writing. Like that's something that I can get behind making predictions, figuring out the why, the math, why behind it, and then articulating that to an audience that doesn't seem like the worst fucking thing in the world where you're like, oh, my God, I'm reading a spreadsheet. And I, I think that people still get bogged down, especially in the DFS space where oh, yeah. all of the best players are essentially spreadsheet warriors. And that's why they're so good at DFS. It doesn't make good content, though. There's a big difference between being very good at playing a game and being very successful and creating a product that people actually want to consume. Now, if your product is, hey, you can buy my spreadsheet that is super successful, that's great. But when you try to turn that into a 45-minute show of you reading from your spreadsheet, that's not really a show at that point. No. Uh, so there needs to be, you know, there needs to be some sort of humor, levity, someone who's very good and has great presence on camera. Um, so I, I just thought that I would like to work in fantasy. I know the only person I really knew who worked, I didn't know him, but there's like, Hey, who works in fantasy? Who makes money in fantasy? The answer was Matthew Barry, Brad Evans, Andy Barron. So like the guys at Yahoo and the guys at ESPN, I guess the guys mm -hmm. at CBS as well. Those were the only places facilitating these kind of things. And when I went on with Roto Experts, they were selling like fantasy packages for season long fantasy football. Like no one at the site was making money except for the guy that owned it, I suppose. Uh, and football guys was around at that time. And I, I, it wasn't until I got into the business a little bit later that I really understood how profitable football guys was and yeah. still is to this day. Cause I had just never heard of it. And I assume, you know, if I haven't heard of it, how successful could it be? Which is a mm -hmm. big mistake that you really can't make in this industry. Uh, just cause you don't know about it. Doesn't mean it's not incredibly popular or a ton of people do know about it because we all get kind of filtered out into our little sections. Like it's it just how it works, especially when you start creating a ton of content that you stop consuming so much content at the same time, you go from being a fan of something and I was just listening is 2008, 2009 when podcasts on your phone really started to take off. I think I was still listening to it on my laptop or and things like that. But like ESPN Pod Center starting up and turning a lot of those radio shows into podcasts. I'd get to listen to like Dave Damashek from L.A. Uh, and he'd be on with like DJ Gallo. And I'd be like, this is great. Like th this is something that I feel like I could do. That's why I want to start podcasting. I was like, I feel like this is something I could do. I have the right personality for this. I have the right knowledge base in terms of sports for this. If I could just figure out how to do it, 
it would make my life a whole lot easier. So, I mean, I did, I suppose when I went to the school that I had ambitions of hosting sports center and stuff like that, but that went away really quickly. Once I saw sort of the, the meat grinder that sports center would be like, Hey, you need to write your scripts and they need to be exactly mm -hmm. 27 seconds long as an intro. And you have to read this highlight package. Reading highlight packages are super fun. Although I always got yelled at about my highlight packages because I didn't take them seriously enough. I would just try to have as much fun with them as possible. And my intros were all wildly esoteric with just bizarre references that no one got. And just, it, I needed to be, I needed to be able to not necessarily do my own thing, but have the ability to have creative control over my product because my stuff was always going to be weird. It wasn't going to be like anyone else's. And in the end, that's really what worked out for me is that, you know, people didn't really know me as a podcaster or someone who was on video. They knew me as a writer. Like that's how I built up my, how I got built up enough cachet to be able to parlay that into a podcast that could go every day or a video that could go every day along with the technical know-how that goes along with it. But you know, I was a writer. I was writing, man, every, I just remember every Wednesday night from 2010 to 2016 during football season, I'd start writing around six o'clock PM and I wouldn't stop until 10 AM the next day and just pound out like 10,000 words on wow. everything you needed to know about that week. And just, it's funny. I started dating, like I did it for the first two years that I was with my now wife. And she looked at me one day, she's just like, why are you still doing this? Like you do seven shows a week because i was I, I was doing everything at that point it's like you got to give something up at some point or you're going to be so burnt out like you don't sleep mm -hmm. ever uh, i was like you know what i can probably cut the column i loved writing the column but writing a column is hard yeah on deadline every week to come up with some sort of new angle and just hit that threshold because when people start and i don't even know if the people write ten thousand word articles anymore uh, they probably don't but i still do it with golf every single week but even the golf ones i've trimmed down to like 1500 words those used to be like eight thousand words per go yeah i just sit there and start writing and just throughout time I, i've got so busy that i still like the exercise of writing my column it keeps me sharp that i'm still writing at least once a week throughout the year in case i do have to do some sort of large writing for a big project but there's just no time to do it when i when i know that i can be more successful sitting down and talking into a camera for 90 minutes rather than spending seven hours writing an article it just makes yeah. more logical sense and it's, it's certainly more fun for you um you know, what's interesting, and by the way, there, there's some questions in the chat. Joe, I'm definitely going to get to your question. And uh, Xavier, thank you for saying uh, to everybody to hit the like button. There was also a comment from uh, Long Money Larry that I just want to read real quick. Um, Let's hear it. Uh, it's uh, the sitcom tournament is the best idea I've seen on social media maybe ever, says Long Money Larry. Uh, how do you feel about that, Pat? Well, I mean, it's your baby. So that that's all on you. <laughs> Love it. It is a good idea. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, go to uh, go to Pat's uh, website, whether it's on YouTube or his podcast, and just search for the best sitcom bracket. Uh, it's it's a ton of fun, and I think the I think the podcasts are a ton of fun too. There's four different podcasts there, and uh, everybody, thank you for being in here. Uh, I just tweeted this out on Twitter. Go ahead and retweet it. Hit the like button. Do all those things. But there was one thing you said, Pat, that really um, rung a bell for me. I had Femi Abebefe on just two weeks ago. He's of course with VEASAN, does the Lombardi line, among other things, with uh, with VEASAN. One thing that really sort of, I think, launched him, and he told us this, was he immersed himself in, he was, he's a reporter, he's an anchor, he's a, he's a sports analyst, but back in the day when he was working over, he was actually working in uh, Seattle, he immersed himself in the production side. 
And it sounds like you did that as well. And, and I feel like taking that extra step, and I know how difficult that must have been. I know from a technical standpoint, I'm not very savvy at all. And it would take a lot for me to learn what I needed to learn, whether that be going to YouTube and looking at you know how-to videos or, or asking somebody or, or whatever. I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, that was an important part of your growth because it allowed you to basically put on your own show. 100%. I wouldn't have my own show if that wasn't the case. And just even to fast forward a little bit, when we started the Fantasy Sports Network, I was its first employee that I almost got fired at the Christmas party for drinking too much and being an asshole. That's Fantastic. fair. Uh, but they wanted to keep me around. But I was the I was like the main panelist on our flagship show, which was Fantasy Sports Today, Monday to Friday. It was half an hour. I'd be on for two of the three segments. And we built a podcast studio out of a closet where if people remember the first iteration of the Pat Mayo Hour uh, on video, it was from that room. You like me and Gary and shooting the shitter. That's where Jeff and I first started doing mm. our golf show was from that room. And I just learned how to use every aspect of that room. Like, I was like, can we clear this out? We just need three cameras because people are so, especially even some of the producers that were at Fantasy at the time, they had all come over from some of the bigger broadcasting networks, kind of cast offs. People had been laid off, but had worked in the industry for a very long time. There was a way that you did things. Hey, we have three cameras here. Well, we need three cameramen. Okay. There's three people. Uh, we need a host and we need two guests or we need someone on the line. We need a director. Not only do we need a director, we need a switcher as well. And the switcher you know, does the direction of what the director goes out. It's like camera two. Someone else presses. I was like, why do you need two people for that job? Can't the director just press camera two? But that's just not how it's done. So right. we had this big bloat of like 13 people working on this show. I was like, if you just put me into that room, I can do the entire thing by myself. I can like, I can do it right now. Like I have my stream deck right now, which is, I wish I had you know, 10 years ago when I was doing this, but I was just trying to like space bar or one, two, three for cameras, one, two, three. And you'd always see my left hand talking and my right hand below camera frame, like it is right now. And I'd be switching the cameras in real time hmm. instead of having to go back and edit everything after the fact. So I'd switch the cameras in real time, have the guest in, and then I would take that product build the graphics on my computer, load everything up on a, onto my computer, and I would put the graphics in uh, after the fact and then produce the show. The other thing that I was doing, like normally actually, I would have my pen in my hand uh, with my hands down and pressing the cameras, and then I would take my time codes, which I still do to this day. I still take the time codes. Like you'd think that Paul would do that for me, but I don't like Paul to do that because I still like to edit all of the <laughs> shows that like I want to know when a clippable moment is like if like the general within 30 seconds, you'll just see me jot something down. And then instantly those clips go up on Twitter or YouTube shorts or TikTok or whatever it might be, because I know where to find them immediately. Just that efficiency and having to do everything or else. So yes, it got me on air seven days a week, which is what I wanted uh, because it was no extra cost to the company. It was just me doing more work and I didn't actually have to get anyone else to do it. Eventually they turned that pot. They were like, man, Pat's producing a lot of content out of that podcast studio. Why don't we run a bunch of shows out of that podcast studio? The funniest thing was I used to do this waiver wire show after the late game on Sunday. So I would be at the office at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning and do a bunch of shows and a bunch of content and Q&A. Uh, in the morning before kickoff, we'd watch all the games at the office, go get something to eat around like 7 p.m., maybe go to the gym for the first part of the late game, watch the late game, and then use the big studio, the fancy studio uh, that took 13 people to run uh, and go shoot a show in there with one other person. He did all I said, it was an intern that we had. I was like, you, you're in here interning. 
the entire time. I was like, do you know how to switch the cameras? Do you know how to hit record and turn up my audio? He's like, yeah, I can do that. I was like, would you be willing to come in with me at midnight uh, on Sunday night and record this show? And then you can go home and I'll sit here and edit it until seven o'clock in the morning and we'll get it out right away. It was the stupidest thing I've ever done doing like an over 24 hour Sunday shift every Sunday during football season. But at that point in my life, like I felt like this was the only way that you could make it. Like if I wasn't doing this, I felt like I always thought about the Des Bryant uh, draft day quote. He never showed up to the draft and someone asked him why he didn't show up to the draft. He's like, well, everyone else has taken a day off. I can get a day up on them by working out. That's insane, but I get it. (laughs) We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, I don't I don't even remember that quote. That's that's an amazing quote. I mean, it, it reminds me of a lot of the stuff you can catch on YouTube, I, like from Kobe Bryant. Um, I, I listen to his YouTube stuff all the time because it just, you know, whether I'm at the gym or somewhere else, uh, when I was playing the uh, the main event, World Series of Poker a few years back, Pat, I was, I was down after day one, down a decent amount of chips. And I literally was like, I found myself like searching YouTube for motivational stuff. And Kobe was littered everywhere about just like, you know, the, what you were just saying about putting the time in and, and uh, hard work and all that thing, all that kind of stuff. And I, I just want to focus on hard work real quick, because something really struck me that you said a few minutes ago when you hadn't made it yet, you know, and you said you were working on articles basically from 6 p.m. to 10 a.m. in the morning. I hate to sound cliche, but, but you know, I, I mentioned the self-production and how important that must have been for you. It sounds to me like, and again, it's cliche, but like the hard work part, really, and you just mentioned it in the sort of over 24 hour shift, 
without that, do you get to where you are now? Or, or did that more just kind of build, I don't know, uh, an, an encyclopedia for yourself and character for yourself? Maybe you didn't need all that hard work to, to actually advance in the industry. I think in retrospect, I probably didn't need it. I don't know. I I would say that I needed it because it taught me the long way to do things. But every time I did something, I got as, I either stayed as good at it or got better, and I was able to do it faster. So I see people now, like when they're producing podcasts or producing video shows or writing articles, like the amount of time that it takes me to... I mean, I know that I don't think we've ever done a show that I've turned around right away. But like, you know, on Monday mornings, Jeff and I do our golf show. We hit record at 10 a.m. Eastern. That show is live by like noon out, completely edited, processed, audio cleaned up, graphics added, everything. And the longest part is obviously the record and then the export. And that's it. Like I've heard I remember um, one of my old partners he started a podcast because he really wanted to get on the podcast game. And I was like, Hey, where's your podcast? It's not out yet. He's like, Oh, I'm still editing it. I was like, it's a 30 minute podcast. He's like, yeah, but I'm going to, I'm trying to get out all of the ums and ahs. And like, he was editing this 30 minute podcast for over a day. I was like, my guy, like, don't worry about it. Like that. This is not helpful, but I know that that's something that I would have done had I had the know-how at the beginning as well. Cause I'd want it to be perfect. I've really come this sounds really bad about the state of content right now, but it doesn't need to be perfect. And the the harder you try to be perfect, like the more forced your content is going to be. There's something really relatable about fuck ups. Yeah. I'm sorry. Am I allowed to swear on my show? No. Yeah, absolutely. And do whatever you want. Just the human nature of screwing up that people don't see you as perfect all the time. I think there's something very relatable about that. And I never thought of myself in that way as being super relatable. Um, but I started listening to the people like the podcasts that I like. And most of them aren't sports podcasts or they're very general sports podcasts or they're comedy podcasts. And they, you know, good editing helps. Don't get me wrong. Bumpers, whatever. And my show used to be a lot more highly produced. And now it's just kind of a content factory because I do so many uh, mm. throughout the course of the week. There's just no time to edit it all. That's all you'd be doing is editing if that was the case. But just letting stuff breathe, being natural, that there is something very relatable about that. And when I was listening to it, that's what really struck me is like, hey, this is the this is the kind of show that I like to listen to. Maybe I can make my show like that. Like there is a reason that Jeff and I have continued to be together after so long. That Cust is always a guest. That Garyan continues to make appearances. Like I became friends with Tambo and having him on. I mean, mm-hmm. he's super sharp. Obviously, that's the main reason that he's on. But our rapport together is actually jovial. We can rib each other. That podcasts are more for hanging out. They're not really for information. Presenting great information is awesome. That's what this should be the goal of it uh, as the base of what you're doing. But if there's no camaraderie or levity to the podcast where it seems like you actually like the other person that you're talking to, if it's going to be a podcast that you listen to all the time, without that, I just don't understand how people can continuously tune in over and over and over again. They, the audience needs to feel like you're their friends. And if you're not friends with the person you're doing the show with, that's impossible. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think Degenerate seventy five and I uh, were talking about this just last week. A show where you were referenced, Pat. He's, I, I he's on my that. show tomorrow. That's amazing. I mean, so so he actually remind. I I said this on the show. Um, it, for those of you that didn't watch it, uh, James kind of credited a lot of his success to Pat, even though at the time he didn't know Pat. He's coming on his show tomorrow, but but I don't. You guys have never done a show together, right? We we have not. No. Right. So the, the larger point that I'm trying to make is he reminds me a lot of you. 
And the reason is because he's just his own guy. Like granted, that's a solo show, but you do a lot. You've done a lot of solo stuff as well. And he, he just strikes me as a guy that's, he's just going to say what he's going to say. And he's very entertaining while he says it. And yeah, he happens to have good information as well, but I'm not so sure he'd be this popular if, and cause he's, he's becoming very popular. I don't think he'd be this popular if he just gave great information because I, half of that audience would tune out. So the half would be like, I love the information. The other half would be like, yeah, I'm kind of bored. They might not even say that to themselves. It might be a subconscious thing for them. And he keeps them engaged and entertained with his jokes and his inflections and things of that nature. So I, I, I think, uh, I think you and him actually have uh, a lot in common. And I think, I think it speaks to why you're both um, so successful. Speaking of success, so it's been 13 years since you launched your podcast. You, you put in a lot of work, obviously. At what point, Pat, did you realize, oh, this is what I hoped it would be, or this is something even better than I thought it would be? Because we all have goals initially. Your goal was to be employed, I, I assume, full-time as a writer or a podcaster or a news anchor, whatever the case may be. We're talking like way back in, let's say, 2007, 2008, those years. At a certain point, Obviously, you realized you could do it, but then I'm assuming at a certain point, the goal also changed because you started to accelerate at a certain rate that you were like, all right, my, my goal now is, is just actually right behind me because now I want to drive. I want to drive over there. When did that moment occur for you? Probably when I asked for a raise at Fantasy and got it. And then I went and looked at my next paycheck and nothing had changed. So I went to accounting and I said, you know, where's my raise at? And they were like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I got a call from the guy who had given me the raise like an hour later, like, what that? What are you talking to accounting for? I was like, didn't I get a raise? He's like, yeah, that's not for eight months. So I was like, that's not what I was told about this. Uh, and DraftKings had made me an offer. And I was like, fuck this, I'm leaving. And like, I had so much sweat equity poured into that station. Like, I really felt like I built that up. Like, you know, their YouTube was my show, essentially. <laughs> So that kind of sucked when I left that no one knew where I went, but um, I ended up going to DraftKings about that. And, you know, DraftKings was throwing around some money at that time. I was like, holy shit. When I was that? this much to do the podcast? Like, I never thought that this would be the case. And I've been doing work with DraftKings on the side, doing like short videos for them. And I was making more from my side gigs than I was actually working at Fantasy. So the job that I was putting in 80 hours a week to do, I was getting paid less than what I would spend an hour a week doing. Uh, and I was like, something is off here. And so when I was talking to DraftKings about like their content, I was like, I, at one point I got it in writing that I own my podcast because I had started in 2010, but there was a very good case that they could have made that, hey, you produced all of this podcast, you know, all these podcasts with our equipment mm -hmm. um, during the time. So I was like, I actually own my audio. My RSS feed is mine. I got them to write off on it before I think they realized how valuable of like a property that was going to be, but I made sure that I had that in writing. Uh, so I was able to bring that with me. So I never lost any of my subscribers. And I'm, they were the audio subscribers who have been with me forever have jumped for me from one platform to another platform to another platform where the YouTube audience, I've actually been hurt by YouTube because I started the fantasy YouTube. When I left, it had a hundred thousand subs. I started that channel from zero. subs. Mm. I went to DraftKings. I think they had like 40,000 subs. When I left, they had 120,000 subs, but then I left and started my own YouTube channel. And I had to start from scratch all over again. I think I'm at like 42,000 now. It's like, 
it's harder and harder to get back up to that number. I just wonder that even the first day that I went to DraftKings, what if I had just put everything underneath the Mayo Media banner then? I thought for me, because DraftKings had this built-in audience already, well, maybe it's better for my career to do it this way. Although I didn't have to, it's something I suggested because I felt like they had a built-in audience, but the fact is they didn't. Uh, mm. And I ended up becoming the majority of their, their audience. And then you know, a lot of those people followed me, but I still get pinged from people who watched the show at Fantasy in 2015 who stumble across my show on YouTube. It's like, oh my God, where have you been for the past six years? Like I've been right here just on a different channel. You just never followed along with me. And like, it's hard to do that in the content space. That's why things like the RSS feed for the podcast, owning your own content, your Twitter account, your whatever way that you use social media. My newsletter, for example, has been great for that, that I can, if anything happens in my career where I have to change places or I have something new coming out, or there's a new place to find me. At least I do have a direct line to a lot of people where I can do that now. Whereas in the past, I lost a lot of viewership because I just didn't have that opportunity. Very interesting. So when, when was that, that you had that, you, the issue with your raise and then DraftKings came calling and said, hey, we'll offer your job here. Like what years are we talking here? That was 2017. Cause I had, I left, I got married. I came back in between my wedding and my honeymoon to shoot. And I'd already given my two months notice to mm. them because I wanted, because I knew that they were planning to build their football content around me. I had accepted this new offer and I, I went and told them right away. I was like, look, I'm not going to give you two weeks and leave you hanging. I at least want to give you two months to figure out what you're going to do for football now that I'm not around and try to, they've actually, because of that, they allowed me a little bit of flexibility. Uh, like I took two, 17 days of honeymoon. <laughs> uh, it was a part of the last month that I was there, but I had never taken a vacation day before. So it was actually owed to me. But I came back from, I flew back from my wedding to film PGA con PGA championship content at the beginning of August and then backfilled all my shows for every day that I was gone. And then they let me come back for one day after my honeymoon to shoot my farewell show. Uh, and then the next day I was recording content from my house uh, we, that was in September, right before football season in 2017 is when I joined DraftKings. So that was my first DraftKings contract. I renegotiated once my contract expired, um, you know, more money, ownership of my own content, moving everything over to my platform for video ownership, of the equipment that they bought me. I was like, this equipment's in a different country and is no longer useful to you. Like, why don't you just sign over the rights to me? So I was able to get a lot of like equity out of it in that sense, mm -hmm. uh, where just the more all I've really learned over the past 13 years is honestly, the more you can own, the more money you will make for yourself. Um, and otherwise, you're just making money for someone else. And you might get paid really well to do that. And other people don't want to work for themselves because it can be a fucking headache doing yeah. payroll, doing invoicing, going to talk to advertisers, sitting in negotiations. I mean, you need to go out and make sure that you've hired a good lawyer, a good accountant, a copyright person to make sure that you're not getting yourself into any legal stuff that could ever blow back on. Like the amount of like business acumen that I have picked up from this, like starting Mayo Media Inc. as that's what I wanted DraftKings to pay me because you know I hired an accountant who told me, he's like, hey, you're better off getting paid to a corporation than getting paid personally and then paying yourself at a lower tax rate. Pay the corporate taxes, which are going to be lower than personal taxes, and then figure out a way, you know, either through dividends or whatever salary it might be to pay yourself out from the company and just keep the money in the company. And then, you know, a lawyer told me, it's like, well, what, what if someone slips in your studio and then takes everything from your company? It's like, well, what you actually need is a holding company to put everything, all your assets 
assets up into it. And so they're protected and they can sue Mayo Media Inc. for all it's worth, but it's not actually worth anything. It's the holding company that's worth it. Just like this shit I didn't know. And I have like a very decent grasp of, but hiring the right people, like hiring a good lawyer and hiring a good accountant, if you are going to go into business for yourself is extraordinary. Like I just, I've been involved with so many websites, startups and things like this over time. And I remember I joined one website that hired 50 people. And the guy who did the hiring told me they spent more time on my contract than the other 49 people combined. And I asked him, I was like, did any of the other 49 people push back on the piece of paper that you presented them? Or did they just sign it? He said, they just signed it. Yeah. Don't ever do that. Hire yeah. a lawyer. It's really, it's really good advice. I say that as an attorney, um, there's, there's always stuff you can push back on. And there's always stuff that whoever wrote the contract is probably going to be taking advantage of a couple things unless you acknowledge it and push back. And then they'll actually, they'll lean and you can kind of negotiate a lot of things like, like Pat obviously did. Let me ask you this. So you're going through this process and I do want to get to media network too, because I'm not exactly sure. Did that like real quick, did that spawn after 2017? That spawned after you signed on with DraftKings, then you created your own company, right? Yeah. So Mayo Media Inc. is the name of the company that was created okay. in 2017. Mayo Media Network launched uh, the first day of my new DraftKings deal. Which was in 2017 at some point. No, that was in 2000. It was a three-year deal. So sometime in uh, football for 2020. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll get back to just sort of what Mayo Media Network is doing and, and sort of why you had that idea in the first place. But I'm curious, as you're going through these progressions of broadcasting school, starting a podcast, writing all night long, quite literally, and then just kind of advancing through the process. Did you have anybody that was helping you along the way? I don't mean financially, although I guess you could answer it that way too. But I mean, just like supporting you or maybe not supporting you. Was there anybody sort of either getting in your way or helping you along the way? Or was this just all Pad Mayo? Uh, I mean, there's, you're always, you need both a lot of luck and circumstance. And just the fact that I started a podcast in 2010 by myself was you know, the greatest thing I ever did. If I had started in 2016, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now. But there were so few podcasts out at the time that there's only so many you could pick from. So the timing was absolutely perfect for it. And yeah, I would say that there was people who got in my way, whether they actually did or not. I perceived them being in my way. And although I seem like a very fun-loving guy, I can be very competitive and very cutthroat and want to destroy people. Uh, not like literally destroy them, but just to make sure that I am beating them no matter what we're doing. Um, I, I don't know. Like I, I've been, I like to work by myself. Like I'm a micromanager. I, it's not that I don't think that I, I do think that I work well with others, but I need others to be able to work like me for us yeah. to work together. If that makes a lot of sense. That's why Paul and I, I mean, I've seen Paul every day for seven years now. I mean, I saw him more than that because he worked at Fight Network when I worked at Fantasy and we were working together, but not directly at that point. But I knew that I, when I went out and hired Paul and told him to come with me, it's like, you work like how I work and that's going to be good because I know that you want to work efficiently. I know that you wear multiple hats when it comes to everything. Like, I don't, I don't need someone who's like, well, I don't know how to use those lights. Like if Paul doesn't know how to turn the temperature of the lights down, he's going to figure out how to do it. Like... Yeah. Just like I would, like, if that makes any sense. Like, I don't need someone's like, oh, man, it's five. I got to go. Like, a part of this right. job is 
I mean, we, we don't work all that much anymore. Like we, because we've gotten so quick, like before we'd be working like 75, 80 hours a week and just due to sheer efficiency with learning how to use all the equipment and doing the show for, you know, seven and a half years now together. Like, you know, we've trimmed down that 75 to like 40, which is fucking amazing. I get to spend more time with my kids and everything like that now. And, you know, it hasn't hurt the quality of our product. In fact, we can do more content than ever because everything we have figured out is now just streamlined. Uh, the one thing that I, I have found now is that you know, we don't take as many chances as we used to. And that's yeah. something that I would like to rectify within the coming year. Once I sign a new deal and have that nice little nest egg to fall back on, uh, I would like to start taking a few more chances. And there might be a few things coming down the pike right now. Uh, that's a bit out of the general realm of what I usually do. Uh, just outside, like still video, but not necessarily video podcasting, more short and even long form mm. type uh, docu stuff that I can help produce and things like that. But in terms of getting in my way, I think most people have been very helpful. I know I know a few people that were not helpful, and I don't know if that was a rivalry type thing. They saw me coming and you know they wanted to get rid of me or try to bury me so I didn't take their job, but I was never after their job. I wanted to create a job for myself, and that's all it really was. Like I remember... At Fantasy, we flew up a lot of the uh, American employees around Christmas time. That's when Nando was up. And Nando's the best. Um, but we had other people up at the same time. And after there was a Christmas party that night, and I remember stuff circulating around like the next morning when I got in on the, no, on the Sunday when I came in, because we were off on Saturday. That's like, you know, this guy says you're really hard to work with. And the rumor is you're really hard to work with. I was like, Really? you find me hard to work with. I was like, where is this coming from? And it, apparently it came up from one of the guys uh, who was up in the States is that I was constantly getting on people to like, let's do some work here. Cause it was a Friday and the injury NFL news drop was happening. There was a Christmas party. I was like, guys, like let's spend the extra half hour. We'll go to the Christmas party a half hour late to make sure that our network has up-to-date information for at least the next 24 hours as it pertains to injuries. Like, this is the job. You can't just leave and not do it and update the ticker. And some people were like, so turned off by that. And like, Pat's hard to work with. He's a taskmaster. He's demanding. I was like, maybe I was in that moment, but it was because that's what the job was. You can't just not do the job. Either you do the job or you don't do the job. And the one thing that you can't do, whether, especially in sports, is not have up-to-date information. Then you yeah. look like a fucking moron. Yeah, oh, completely true. Um, so I want to get to, I've got a few more questions for you. By the way, there's a couple of questions for you. I think these are geared towards you as opposed to me in the chat. If anybody has questions for Pat, we'll try to get to them, but, but go ahead and put them in the, in the chat. Maybe if we have time, we'll get to them before um, we get out of here. Take me back though. Real quick, before we get to some maybe future. Oh, by the way, I, I do want to ask you about the content thing. You said there there might be some new kind of taking some chances. Are we talking? I don't want you to reveal anything. Well, I do, but are we talking like different subject matter as well, or just different formats to present what you're already presenting? Non picks type stuff. Put it that way. Okay, but and sports more, related, more reality type situations. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I'm intrigued. All right. Um, so where was I going? Yeah. So when we go back to your podcast in 2010, one day you did a podcast. I'm just curious if you could take me back to that moment, because clearly that's what launched you into some of the dominoes that fell to got to got you where you are today. Was there ever like, take me back to the day you started the podcast. Like I did a podcast, Pat. Um, I was doing a podcast with two of my friends, actually, like that nobody was watching. We were, we were more just practicing than anything. This was many years ago. Uh, Seth Marks, Ramel Clark, uh, and I. 
we're doing that. And then they, they got, they kind of got busy. So I remember one day I'm in my condo complex, the one I'm in right now. And I went up to the roof of the building where there was this kind of separate room where I could record a podcast like by myself without like hearing anybody else. I'd be alone and all those things. No, no family would be around or whatever. And I remember in that moment recording something, it was the preseason. I was talking about the NFL draft and, and picks that I, I were going to, and I knew nobody was going to listen to this podcast. It was just for me to practice. And as I was doing it, I remember thinking to myself, is this ridiculous? Like is what I'm doing in this kind of dark room, basically talking to myself with content that I know nobody's ever going to hear, is this kind of like, like, what am I even doing? Like, I remember that thought at least fleeting through my head. And I feel like those thoughts can potentially stop a career. And I'm just wondering if you could take yourself back to the moment where you actually started your podcast. Did that thought ever come across your mind? Was there potentially like a sliding doors moment where you were like, nah, this is ridiculous. I'm gonna go um, do this job, you know, this nine to five, because that makes way more sense. Well, I didn't have the nine to five option was the problem. Yeah, <laughs> there, there was no opportunity for me. I, I legit don't know what I would be doing if I didn't do this right now. So I, I, re, I didn't do my first show solo. I actually did it with Tim because we would be having these random conversations about fantasy or about football or whatever it might be. I was like, hey, let's go record this and we'll try to figure out a structure for a show. It's like, here's a pod. Here, like I showed him like, here's what a podcast is. It's like sports radio, but there's no commercials. And then Tim just loves to talk. So it made it very easy for us to do it that way. And then we did up enough reps of it with no one listening, of course, that eventually you get good at it. And that broadcasting school really did help from that format too, because there was a radio element to it that we would be doing like, you know, once every three days or twice a week or three times, we'd be doing hour long, like round tables about topics that they gave you. And it just turned out that I was really good uh, in the long form rather than just saying you know, the sound bites, the, the quick clips I was much better in terms of both hosting and having opinions and trying to flesh things out and interacting with people uh, over the course of 90 minutes or an hour rather than, you know, short hits that are scripted that are 15 seconds long. Uh, I'm just learning how to like, for example, like you and I had never spoken before and we did a show what we recorded the first of those four shows, me, you and Adam Azer, probably what, like two and a half months ago. Yep. And one skill that I feel like I do have and other people have mentioned it to me, like being able to identify your own skills and not just thinking you're absolute shit at everything is something that takes a while to develop, but you need to know what your strengths are and need to know where you lack and where you need people to help you with that. But I really do feel like one of my best attributes as a host is I can talk to people I've never talked to before and make it seem like we've been friends for years. Yeah, no, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, and for, for the record, it's funny because when I hopped onto that show, that was my expectation anyway. I wasn't surprised by that because I had heard you before and that's just something I anticipated going into it. Again, listen to those podcasts, watch that, watch those shows. Those, those, are, those are really fun shows. So let me ask you this. There's a lot of people probably in this industry, like you know, trying to start their own thing, uh, whether it's a podcast or a show or something on YouTube, I don't necessarily want to limit my question to this industry, but that's the context you can think of this question in if you want. What's your advice to those trying to start their own thing? Do like, it. obviously, like two, do two quick. Do it. Just do it. Okay. See, it. okay. That's, and, 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 and that's a prevailing theme uh, throughout your, I think my 13th or 14th guest on Cienajad Sports. I distinctly remember Rick Gaiman, who of course you work with, we all work with, um, 
at rickrungood.com, he said the same thing. He, he said, you, just start, like just begin. And, it, and, and of course, that's what you did. You also put in a lot of hard work. You also became an asset to yourself because you learned more things. Like you learned more things that would help you kind of move forward in a, in, in, in a direction that a lot of people aren't going to go because they're not going to take the time to learn those things. So that's sort of what I've picked up from you. And then now you're adding the, just do it, just get it started. Just tell me what you mean by that. In other words, somebody wants to start their, their own podcast. What, what, tell them what to do. Go on to YouTube and figure out how, you know what? If you have an Apple, I think this is on Apple. You have a, if you have a Mac computer, you can go to QuickTime. This is how I recorded my first podcast. And there's probably much more efficient ways that you can do I know there's more efficient ways that you can do this. But if you just open up QuickTime on your laptop right now, if you go to the top, there's actual audio recording setting on QuickTime. You can just record the audio. You can see the levels coming through. Start talking. Can you do it? Can you do five minutes? Record five minutes something that you actually have something to say i know that's that sounds strange but i hear a lot of people who start podcasts who legitimately have nothing to say like i I don't know i think they like the idea of starting a podcast and the idea of working in sports or comedy or movies or whatever it is but they legitimately have nothing to say about anything i'm not saying listen i people have asked me about my research over the years my research is what i do 24 7 I try to just absorb, pick up, scan Twitter, read an article here, read an article there. I do my research show for golf. I do the same thing for football every Monday morning. And I just try to remember as much as possible and then make no notes for the show. No game plan, no notes. Like when we do our spread pick show, it's a list of the games, with whatever the spreads are. That's it. Hmm. Whatever else is coming up off the top of everyone's head. And that's really worked well for me. Now, not everyone has that memory recall and everyone will have their different ways to do it. But I know when I'm doing the research, I think in my head, like, oh, yeah, like, this is what I think about this. Right or wrong, that doesn't really matter. But having the opinion is the part that actually matters and not playing both sides of everything at all times. I mean, that's for as much people as much. I mean, I'm guilty of it, too, of giving Cuss so much shit. But one of the reasons Cuss gets so much shit is because he actually has opinions on everything. Yeah. And there's, yeah, you, you'll fair. listen to podcasts where people legitimately like they might give out a bet, but then like there's the hedge to the bet. It's like, oh, well, yeah. here's why it might not work, which is probably a more fair and balanced way to look at it in terms of overall probability. Sure. That's not why people are listening to a podcast. If they really just wanted to pick, they would pay for some sort of pick service that emails them three picks a day. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, any other habits just real quick that you maybe have kind of honed in on over the last 15 years that like whether it's something you do every day when you wake up or something you make sure you do after each show or before each show, anything you can impart on others that maybe they can adopt and put in place for their new venture. I don't really get amped up for shows anymore, which is good. Like I try to come in with a low heart rate. Like you need to always have a certain set of nerves whenever you're doing a show, but I've had bad nerves sometimes in very like live settings. Uh, one of the, like the, I mean, everyone does like the first time you do something, you're going to be a lot, you're going to be very nervous about the situation. It makes you bad on mm-hmm. air. It makes you jumpy. You're trying to be too funny. You don't need to try to be too, if you're a funny person, you're just naturally going to be funny. You don't need to force in the jokes. You can put in a quip here, a quip there, but don't ever have that shit pre-planned because it's going to sound very noticeable uh, when mm-hmm. you're making your hack jokes. You're not a stand-up comedian. You can be funny without being like a professional comedian. 
But the moment you start telegraphing jokes and preparing jokes, all of a sudden it's not funny anymore because you're not a professional. So just being comfortable and being able to converse back and forth and really listening to what people have to say and playing off that. Like, I think that you've done a really good, good job tonight. I know that you've had a list of questions that you wanted to ask me, but it seemed like half an hour ago, you threw out the stock questions that you had, listened to what I said, and then had follow-up questions or something you found interesting about what I said and followed up with that. That's what makes the show good. That's what makes a host really good is actually listening to what the guests are doing. Uh, and that way you're not just because, I mean, I'm sure you've heard it before, too, especially when you're doing like 10 minute segments on the radio or something like people have four questions. And those are the four questions that they have to ask you because they're yeah. not listening to you. It's just like, OK, next question, Pat, here it comes. Uh, who's going to win this week at the Masters? Like, I, I just told you that. <laughs> so it's funny because my attorney days, I practiced law for 13 years, trial attorney. I sat in a lot of trials, uh, you know, tried a lot of cases, but I, I attended a lot of depositions. There were so many attorneys that would walk in with a basically a script of questions to ask because they were nervous and they were unprepared. I mean, really what you're talking about, Pat, is just being prepared. Your, your heart rate will go down uh, in correlation to how prepared you are when you when you come into a big moment. But in those depositions, there were so many people who just like they were practically reading a manuscript and the the deponent, the witness would respond to it and typically would give some sometimes incriminating things or revealing things or things you'd want to pick up on. But because they're so beholden to their little script and their deposition questions, they just go right to the next question. And there were like 10 other questions they could have asked just based on the previous response, but they weren't listening because they just wanted to get through their script. So, I mean, I, I think that applies across all disciplines. I think it's really good advice. And frankly, I, I think it comes down to being prepared. You are always immersing yourself in information. And so when you show up at your own show or any other show, you're generally going to be prepared. So, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with all of that. Um, to, and like, even like you sent like a rundown of sort of the questions. I didn't really look at it uh, yeah. because I don't like to know what the questions are because I've had guests and like I've had to cancel guests sometimes uh, about football or about golf or whatever it is talking about because I'd be like, yeah, we're doing an hour. They're like, what's it on? It's like football. They're like, yeah, but what specifically I need to research? Like you're, you're not equipped to be on this show if I yeah. need to tell you what we're talking about because I need my guest. I can't have, like there are guests that I have that I feel like know less than me, but they're more fun guests. If I have mm -hmm. someone on that I'm trying to like probe for information, you can't know less than I do about something like freewheeling it. Like you need to be able to come on to tell me things. That's the whole point of the show. If not, I'm just hosting this by myself at this yeah. point. Or I'm going to host it with like my buddy and we can just bicker back and forth and make it fun. And I can present the information. No, you're on the show because you have more information than me. I can't tell you what we're going to talk about. I don't know what we're going to talk about. We're, <laughs> going to, we're going to start somewhere. And then the conversation is going to go in a million different directions about whatever I can rack my brain to come up with to ask next. Because I'm listening to what you're saying and trying to react to it. I, I just think that makes for a much better free flowing conversation that makes it listenable at the same yeah. time as well. Uh, a few other tips, by the way, besides just starting to do it. YouTube, mm -hmm. how to do all of this stuff. How do I record a podcast? How do I record a YouTube video? What settings, do? what editing equipment do I need to use to edit on video? What Premiere export should I do for optimal upload speed? It's all on, you don't even need to go to broadcasting school anymore. YouTube yeah. is there and it has all of the free information you ever need. So record something, make it short, have a take. And I know it comes through in the inflection of my voice, but something that I truly do believe in. I talked about being cutthroat with people earlier. I love working with people in my industry. I think that 
propping people up who are technically your competition is such a smart move. Like there's such a wide base for all of us to hit. Like mm-hmm. gambling is still at its infancy. Daily fantasy, people say it's at its last legs. It's not. It's still going to get bigger. It's just sports betting is going to be even bigger. So, I mean, Rick is a really good example. I found Rick's show on YouTube when he was starting out. I was like, this guy's pretty good. You know, I could have ignored him and hoped he went away, but instead I had him come on my show and help promote his channel because I thought that he was really good. And it turns out Rick is amazing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he's built a really good career off that. And I think just having friends in the industry that we can all like, we can all work with like the tour junkies and I, Rick and I, uh, Raza and I, and all these different sites. That's one of the main things I wanted to have for Mayo media network that I could work with anyone. It didn't matter. Like, Oh, I'm at this site. I can't talk to you because you're at that site. Like, fuck that. Like that. That's not how I want to operate because I do think that there's enough, let's call it for what it is. There's enough money for all of us out there. There's enough viewers for all of us out there. There's enough subscribers for all of us out there that I think that working together provides better content for everyone. That just because, you know, the guy over here is rising up doesn't mean that you're not rising up at the same time along with them. And maybe they can bring people over to you at a different point. Or I always thought like I was a very good producer. Like throw out like being on air or anything like that. But I always felt like if on air didn't work out for me, I could go to ESPN or the stations in Canada or Fox and just immediately become a producer because I was really good at it. It's not the most fun job in the world when you have a giant ego and want to be in front of a camera and want to hear yourself talk for 90 minutes a day. And any, if you don't have an ego, you probably shouldn't be on camera. If you're not going to be cutthroat, you probably shouldn't be on camera or on radio. When I say on camera, I mean hosting a podcast, doing whatever. And if you're not arrogant to some extent to think you're actually really good at this, you have no chance of making it. Everyone yeah. I know who is successful and good. And I, I know, see, that you don't seem like it, but I guarantee you, if you asked you, you would say you're pretty good at this. I would. I would. And, and I think there's a way to project that and not even sound arrogant. I mean, there's a certain level of confidence that I have, but honestly, a lot of it is just some of some of the innate stuff that I think I have, but a lot of it is just me being prepared. So, I mean, I think you can you can grab hold of conf- in my opinion, you can grab hold of confidence just by being prepared and kind of like knowing who you are and what your niche is. Like you might not be the funny guy. You might be the quiet guy. So so somehow sort of embrace that and be self-deprecating and be positive and nice. And people are going to identify with that. So I think that's part of where my confidence comes from is I kind of know who I am, or at least I think I do. And I embrace it. And I hope that people that are watching me embrace that. And so far, so good, I think. Yeah. I mean, how long did it take you to earn a full-time job in, in this sector? What, like a year? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it depends what you mean by full-time because we know what, what that means from a contractor versus full-time. But in terms of like being on uh, quite a bit. Like, do you, uh, practice, do you practice law anymore? No, I haven't practiced law for six years. Yeah, so you've so, been doing but, this for six years. Well, no, there's a middle part to that story because I went from practicing law to pharma sales, actually. And in the middle of my pharma sales career is when I started to go full bore into the media game. And then it it was just the last six to eight months where I dropped the pharma thing and I, and I started doing this full time. So in terms of what I'm doing full time, I've actually only been doing it for about eight or nine months. But I've really kind of been doing it for two to three years because I was, I was burning the candle at both ends, kind of like you were. I had my day job. Then I was doing all of the sports analyst stuff and, and CBS and Wind Daily and all that stuff at night. 
and you joined at a time and got in. So, I mean, your ideas about what you should do to get started in this business, I think, are actually much better than what I have to say. I joined at a time when I thought a lot of people were doing it. They were not. You've entered the market at mass competition. When And the hardest thing, it's funny, when you look at the pay scale in this industry, it kind of works one of two ways. You either get paid very little, or you do it for free, or you get paid a lot. There's not really like a, a mid-tier of pay scale. I'm sure that there is uh, amongst outliers, but it's either you get paid a lot or you get paid nothing because there's always someone willing to do this job for free. That's what makes it so difficult yeah. to make this into a career is that people will act. I actively did it for free for three years. Like I took on like side writing gigs to pay my rent. But the main thing that I was focused on was something I was doing for like 40 hours a week for free. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to be willing to do that. And, and I think from my perspective, which is vastly different than yours, and you're selling yourself short a little bit because you worked so hard and you were smart enough to, again, be an asset to yourself by learning so many different things, which just frankly, you were probably in the one or two percentile that did that, that just harnessed all the possible skills you could harness and then just kind of like used it all. Uh, in my case, I you know, I, I think I have the maybe the right personality type, but again, it comes to me, it comes down to just being prepared and being positive. What you said about kind of propping up other people, um, I like to do that too, but just in general, my day to day, I like to be positive. And I think, and I've said this on so many Sia Najat sports episodes, so have guests, just being positive, people just generally begin to gravitate to you, toward you, and just kind of want you around. And, and they can sort of be in those conversations, Pat, that you're talking about, where you have somebody on your show and it's just like, Two guys that you know pretty much like each other, having an actual conversation as to as opposed to putting on a show. And I think if you kind of emit that type of positivity and you work hard, um, the breaks will the quote luck will start uh, falling your way. Well, I, so. I think that's a really interesting niche. Like, I mean, the internet is not a super positive place to begin with, and you do espouse a lot of positivity. And I do think that's what that what's that is what makes you different from a lot of people where if you tune into my show, it's just mean spirited humor for 90 minutes. <laughs> it's arrested development for 90 minutes. It, a lot of it is. I, I think that's like, even when we talk through the sitcoms and the type of sitcoms that you like versus the ones that I like, you know, like arrested development and veep are the ones that pop to the top of my mind because they're the meanest things on TV. And I love uh, them. Yeah. And I don't want to get too far afield, but my sister just traveled. She lives in Melbourne, Australia. She just arrived in the DC area today where, where I'm from. And I told her about the best sitcom bracket that I needed to send it to her and she needed to listen to the, to the four episodes. And her, she, no joke, her first question was, where did you have Arrested Development? And I bashfully said, it was a 10 seed. And she was basically like, you're the biggest idiot of all time. And I was like, I know it was a, it was a bad move by me. Um, but anyway, back, back to the point at hand. You know, I, I think uh, you, you definitely, you got in at the right time, but you definitely put in the right work. So um, as from my perspective, um, again, I just try to be positive. I try to be prepared. Let me hit two questions. And then I have one last question for you. And then I'm going to get you out of here. Cause okay. By the way, it's been hold, hold that one side. Yeah. Cause something just popped in my mind. Cause I talked yeah. to degenerate 75 James, the last thing that I would say about content, if you're trying to break in and what he did so well, he found something within a big sphere that was under reported on and there was yeah. no shows on and grabbed that and made that his niche. And that made a name for him immediately. Is he good at presenting? Yes. Is he charismatic? Yes. Is he funny? Yes. Is he giving you great information? Yes. But no one was doing PGA showdown content. No one. And he started doing it. And that's just a way immediately like, Hey, I know there's people investing 
$500,000 every Sunday playing DraftKings Showdown. You don't think someone is out there looking for content yeah. on this to get better? Obviously there is. So just finding a micro niche within one of the niches is a way that you can really stand out, I find. I think that's something that people just don't give a lot of credence to. They don't give a lot of time to because they're so focused on working hard that they're not really taking the time to work kind of smart. That initial idea is going to make that hard work pay off. And if the, if the initial idea is the same idea that everybody else has, then you better be like the best person on YouTube or the best pod, the best person on any podcast, because that's the only way you'd separate yourself if you don't already have a great idea. So take the time, like journal it. Like this is something I talked with Greg Ducharme about, who was actually Pat, my first guest, write things down, like get a game plan down and be beholden to the game plan. It'll give you a level of accountability if you actually write things down, whether it's in your schedule or whether it's an idea. And then you can kind of put those uh, ideas in play. So I absolutely love that. I had a journal for that big article and all of my articles that I was writing because I was given the keys to the back end of Roto Experts at one point in like 2013 to 2014. And every time I would release an article, I would jot down, just have a complete graph of every two hours throughout the day or make notes about how the traffic was going. And then I would tweet out the article to see the spike immediately on the website. This is before you get like Twitter analytics and everything mm -hmm. like that to know how much I was influencing things from my account. And then I also had the login for the Roto Experts account. So then like an hour later, I would tweet it out from that account to see how many people it would bring in and what were the best times of day to release an article to get it registered for SEO within the system. What could I name things? And this is before like SEO was a big thing because they were have. when I got there, every title of their article was a pun title. And I just, and they thought that I was like paying people for hits, but I was like, no, I actually just called my article week seven quarterback rankings. And it turned out <laughs> very searchable, not the weirdest shit that you would ever think of going into it. Just like, I don't care what the title of the article is. Just call it the most basic. I was like, Wilson, just make it a Google search was like my mm -hmm. only advice to them about what you should name your articles. Can I Google this? And if I Google exactly that, will my article come up? Yes. But I had, I, I was like John Nash in a beautiful mind in there, just numbers popping off a page. Only I knew what they meant because it was my shorthand looking at times a day, peak rates, how long would people be reading them? And I mean, I still schedule my tweets and release my shows and things like that to this day based off all of that information, which I try to absorb into real time. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to do stuff like that. And it might be crippling. And like, I think a lot of people who want to start a goal, they have all these ideas. They know they have to do a lot of these things, Pat, that you're, you're mentioning, but it's not like Pat, like learned all that stuff at the same time. Right. Pat, like you, you, you learn one thing and, and you, you kind of like, you get the skill down and it helps you. And then that's okay. That's in the rear view mirror. Now I'm going to learn this next thing and this next thing. I think when you have a great idea, right? What comes right after the great idea is, oh no, <laughs> like these are the things I have to do to put this idea in place. And then the idea goes away and you, for, you, you just don't do it because of whatever excuse you, you put in there. But if you start to tackle things one at a time. Well, that's when you start to get some like of that snowball effect. You get some traction. And now before you know it, you, you're already halfway there. I would tend to agree. And just like, don't be, it's easy to become overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed over the years when there's a massive, I, I remember telling Nando, it's like, I usually have like one night where I kind of break down every football season. And then it got to, we got through 17 weeks when you're just like, Hey, I didn't have a breakdown this year. It wasn't just like in my house on a Friday night with my hands in my head, like, Oh my God, what, what, like, I can't keep doing this. Like I, I need to sleep at some point. I can't continue yeah. to work seven straight days and working so much. And it turned out the answer was just don't work as much. Like you, 
whatever your product is, you are going to care about it way more than anyone else is going to care about it. that little mistake that only you hear. No one else is going to hear that. Like we had a loop problem in one of our graphics the other day and Paul was stressing out about it behind the camera. I was like, honest to God, Paul, I didn't even notice it. It's my fucking show. I don't mm -hmm. think that the viewers watching this on their phone are really going to care that much about not even a single black frame, just like a little pixelation in the top. But like, that's what he does. So he notices it. It's like when you see a jump cut, uh, um, like on a major league baseball game, if you know what a jump cut is, yeah, you might notice it. 99.9% .9 of the people don't know what the fuck that is. They're never going to notice. Right. Absolutely. Um, speaking of breakdowns, I, I want to go to two questions uh, from the chat. Uh, Joe Neuenfeld asks, he basically says his company's laid, laid everybody off and uh, or is about to lay everybody off. And he's trying to stay positive. And he asks, do you guys have any tips on staying positive through stress? Anything to offer there, Pat? I usually just keep working and take my mind off of it. And good things have come from there. But this could be an opportunity if you can afford to do it. I mean, obviously, continue to reach out to even reaching out to people like me or Sia. Uh, listen, if I, I know anyone, if I, if I, if, I mean, it might be weird if it was a random person, but if I'm familiar with your work, I've, I mean, uh, you know, many have called me a shadow agent in the DFS and gambling industry that I've gotten a lot of people set up at many different jobs and, you know, hooked them up. I've got my lawyer a lot of work because you know, I kind of gave them the same advice that I talked about earlier. It's like, if you have a shitty lawyer, you're not using a lawyer, you're going to fuck yourself in mm -hmm. the end. So I've gotten my lawyer a lot of, you know, he gives you know, my friends discounted rates because sometimes, especially if you are laid off, you might not have the money or, you know, what's my expense here? Can I really afford a lawyer? Like a lot of times the answer is going to be no, but you have to figure out a way to do it if you're going to sign a contract because you might be costing yourself tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars down the road. And maybe, maybe it's not going to seem that extreme. Maybe it won't be that extreme. What if you get ripped off for $5,000 or a piece of IP that should be yours no longer is going to be yours once that contract is over? You can't have that because that stuff is so valuable. So what I would do during the meantime is reach out to people that you admire in the industry. Maybe they can help point you the same way. Maybe they know of a job that might be coming up but other than that, try to figure out a way to create something on your own that you can own. Mm -hmm. And listen, you don't necessarily need to run a business just because you create something on your own. Let's say I shut down Mayo Media Inc. tomorrow. I still own the Pat Mayo Experience podcast. And let's say DraftKings doesn't want me back. I can go to Barstool and be like, hey, would you like my podcast on your network for the next three years for this much money? They'll be like, sure. I'm like, okay, great. I just work for you now. And I get my show back when the contract's over. That's right. Yeah. And Joe, I, I think one thing I would probably say is, you know, and I don't know what industry you work in, but two things, obviously you want to do like the basic stuff, like update your resume and reach out to absolutely reach out to everybody, including friends. Like you'd be surprised how many opportunities might be out there that a friend of yours might know, as opposed to like a recruiter or, or something like an online agency that, that helps you with uh, job placement. But Pat mentioned the word opportunity. And I know this sounds contrived, but don't sell short the idea that you, I don't know, maybe you have a job you don't like. Maybe they're letting you go from a job you don't really appreciate very much. You know, there's time while you're unemployed, if that ends up being where you're at, to actually pursue opportunities that you're really passionate about. Now, it might not work out, but don't take that time for granted. Like you have time, like you might have time to go to a profession you really like. You might have time to do something you really want to do as opposed to need to do. So yeah, you can do all that updating of resumes and all of those things because you might need to do that. But you also now have been freed up a little bit to maybe pursue something 
that you really love. So just don't sell that short. I know that sounds like super fantasy in Hollywood, but it's kind of not. And I, I think I'm pretty decent evidence of that myself, but that, that's in this world. I think in a, in a lot of different worlds, um, we don't do what we're passionate about because we don't think we can. Uh, but that's not necessarily true. So be practical, but be idealistic at the same time, because you might be able to, you might, this might end up being an incredible opportunity for you. Pat, the next question, and there's sub questions here. I'm just going to ask you the main question. When you were getting started, this is from JB. When you were getting started in podcasting, what was your biggest fear? That no one would listen. And they didn't until they did. Yeah. How, and I'll ask one of the sub-questions. How much time did you put into structuring each episode? Zero. Interesting. Even back then? No. I always just thought this is a conversation that I'm having. I like it. Yeah. Because again, if you get bogged down in the details of structure, the show's not going to flow. Right, Pat? I, it just sounds very robotic to me. But that's to mm -hmm. me. Like there are people like in our industry, like uh, James and I were talking about, you know, course preview shows for golf. I do my course preview show. There must be like 50 of them out there at this point. And like mine and is a lot similar is very similar to his that like it's going to be injected with our personalities. I try to make it as upbeat as possible. Well, I'm reading off of a spreadsheet and trying to, and you have to think too, like I'm trying to articulate this both for the people watching the video, but also the more people that actually listen to the audio podcast of this, because my audio audience is like 10 times what my video audience is. So I need to be able to work it around that I'm explaining the visuals on the screen enough that people would want to listen to this as an audio podcast as well. And then you know, we try to you know, add in our jokes make her quips do whatever keep the energy very high i listened to another one and like it was i i, I turned it off like it was so fucking boring <laughs> but it had great information information that i wanted to have but i was like this is an article this isn't a podcast however that's me as a viewer or as a listener in my taste there are people i mean we just did that sitcom bracket there's very clearly a lot of different tastes out there within people that do exactly the same thing. So there's going to be a lot of people that listen to that other podcast and say, this is great. Pat show is ridiculous, unfunny. I don't like the vibe. I'm never going to listen to it. And that's okay. I, I think there's room for a lot of different things like that. Uh, that's just not my personal style. Some people, you talked about the confidence. Some people need to be very prepared, very structured, and not get off the beaten path too often because that's what gives them confidence when they project through. I'm the exact opposite. I don't like being, oh shit, like I only have like 40 more seconds left. Uh, what's the main point that I want to make here? Like, no, yeah. I want to be able to sit back, think about what I have to say, but keep the conversation moving. We can go here, we can go there. We have an unlimited amount of time. Who cares? We can shoot the shit for all, as long as we want. Would you say, if I characterized it like this, focus on the dynamic, not the structure. Would you say you agree with that? Yes, I would. All right. I, cause I think, I think that's, I think that's hitting a home run. I think people are too focused on the content, which is great if you have good content, but nobody's going to be listening to it if you're boring or if it's way too structured. Um, this if is how I'm going to be boring and like, know that you're boring, uh, or way too structured. Like that's something you have to inherently know. You're not, if you're a super boring person and you're into podcasting, cause you have great information or maybe you have a good voice or maybe you're super structured you're not thinking you're Bill Burr every time that you turn on the microphone. Like you have to have a bit of self-awareness with that. But I think that if you're that type of person, don't do an hour and a half. Don't do an hour. Do like 10 good minutes. Mm -hmm. Then I'll listen to it because I'm getting my information dump. 
And then that's it. We you don't need you to expand on it. Here are the nuts and bolts because you have a great structure. You have great information. You're passionate about what you're talking about. You're just not a dynamic personality. That's okay. Not everyone is going to be a dynamic personality and have charisma and be able to articulate that through. But if you have great information, just make it short. Like, uh, what's the CBS Five Minutes podcast? It's fucking great. Uh, fantasy football today in five. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's, well, here's what here's what you need to know. Okay. I tried to do that for the injuries and it took me like 20 minutes to get through the injuries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the NFL. I, th- that's great advice, by the way. I, and I think that's something that people really don't get because they think they need to put out like 20 to 30 minutes of content because that's, or even 40 to, to 60 minutes of content because that's what a podcast looks like. Well, make it look like however your best show is going to be. And Pat, to your point, some of the people that you, if you think you're kind of boring or if it's just all nuts and bolts you want to give, People will listen for eight to 10 minutes. Absolutely. And you can be that guy that owns that space for whatever thing you're doing. You're the guy that like gives everybody all the information in eight to 10 minutes. That's value to me. And I can see that being very popular. Some people don't listen. I don't have a ton of time. I listen to a few hour long. And it's funny because all the hour to two hour long podcasts I listen to are generally two of the same people shooting the shit with each other the entire time. And I feel like I'm their friend, although it's a weirdly parasocial relationship. Those are just the shows that I listen to. I do listen to a few mic- what they call like micro podcasts that are 10 minutes or less. If I feel like I need to get some information on a topic I don't know much about. That is, a perf- that is the amount of time I am willing to invest about something like I don't need to know about, but I would like to know about. Mm-hmm. Like politics stuff like, hey, here's what happened. Like, here's what's going on in the Capitol today. It's like, perfect. Give, give that to me in five minutes. I love it. Uh, okay. I always close every show with the following question, Pat. And it is do three you people know how to do the stunner to people at parties. And the answer is yes. Oh, that's it. All right. Walk that's, in that's stunner the show everybody immediately. <laughs> that's fantastic. I don't even know what the stunner is. Oh uh, I wasn't arrested. And yeah. I work with Jonathan coachman, the coach every single day. Uh, I, I literally every day, I, I don't know what the stunner is. I, I feel like you need to hook coach and I up together. I feel like I, I've never talked to coach. I remember him watching him on TV fucking 20 years ago and to see him on with you now, I think is super cool and on with Rick at the same time. But I just feel like we, we would have a good personality, not clash a good personality mesh coach. And oh I. my God. Just say the word. I'm sure he'll come onto your show. If you want, I mean, you guys would be uh, so <laughs> the dynamic would be uh, awesome. I, I think you absolutely should get together with him. I feel like he treats this job very much like how I treat the job. Oh, oh my God, 100% true. Okay, first of all, my second Sienna Jean sports show was the coach. And I'm telling you, some of the stuff you said today, it's just occurring to me now, was verbatim what he was saying. I mean, he he is constantly working at his craft. He does not want to work with people that are not constantly working at their craft, no matter how good he thinks they are or they think they are. There's always room for improvement. There's always room to get better. That is something that he like really, really uh, firmly stated on, on Sienajad Sports uh, just a few months ago. So, I mean, you guys are of the same mind 100%. So what's the question? The final question. The question is, three people that you'd like to thank right now, because this show is, is a gratitude show too. We, we try to create good habits. We try to motivate people, but we try to be thankful for where we're at, regardless of where we're at, thankful to the things that we have. And and I like to end the show in that type of light. So three people that you'd like to thank for helping you get to where you are today. That might not mean financially where you are today, or even where you are today with DraftKings and Mayo Media Network and and all of those things, just mindset wise, whatever, however you internalize that question, three people that you'd like to thank 
for getting you to where you are today? I would like to thank, well, my wife is probably the first person I need. She's to excluded. She's excluded, but she Matumbo. actually had a profound influence on my career in a weird way. Included, go. So she was the one who kind of got me on the rails. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I told you I partied pretty hard in college and, you know, I ended up getting through that even when I was working the like 80 hours a week, I was spending like the other 40 hours, not sleeping, but being awake and partying the entire time. Um, and then I met her and just kind of calmed down. Like I, I was able to take a breath when I met her and it, it, I wouldn't say it straightened my life out. I'm still like out having fun, but I'm not the, the party animal I once was also cause I'm old now and just can't get through it anymore. But it, like just her calmness really helped me apply that to my job that maybe I don't need to be working a 30 hour shift. I'm like, Hey, can you do that in like 12 hours instead of 30? I was like, yeah, I probably can now that you think about it and just mm -hmm. not always feel like you need to be on and doing something. Cause I still live in perpetual fear that someone is going to steal my job. That's why when I go on vacation, you would never know it unless I tell you that I'm going on vacation, you would know because I still have shows coming out. That's why we That's recorded right. all those sitcom brackets. Cause I went away for 17 days. You know, I released in those 17 days, 17 shows. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. All right. Uh, so your, your wife is one. Cust is number two. Cause meeting Cust really did give me the confidence to try to do this. I just, cause he was so supportive of the entire thing. And the fact that he'll still come on my show and be a punching bag and be a punchline. And he's good with that. Like that's a part of our dynamic. He's my best friend. He was the best man at my wedding. And it's funny when people come to the show for the first time, they're like, Oh my God, these guys hate each other. It's like, no, like we're best friends. We can give each other shit and that's fine. Uh, so without him, I actually don't think that I even would have had like the idea to go to broadcasting school or to really try to pursue this. Cause he used to read every word. He would help edit my stuff and try to, you know, you need to improve here. You need to start. You, why do you keep saying less when the word fewer is what you actually mean? And like mm -hmm. making me feel like an idiot about it until, you know, it gets ingrained in there and you actually learn how to speak properly and write properly. And not necessarily, he still gets mad at me about my comma splices and run on sentences. I was like, all I basically do is write how I talk. So I need yeah. to have a lot of comma splices with my weird inflection and bizarre pauses that I have. I want my articles to read that way because Writing, especially in sports, is far less about, you know, a APA format or AMA or whatever the hell it is. It's about, can you cultivate a voice? When someone reads the first paragraph of one of your articles, do they know it is you who has written it? And I've always been high on that scale of, oh, Pat wrote this. I can just tell by the way that this is written, that this is Pat's words coming through on the page. And that is far more valuable to you as an asset and as trying to grow an audience rather than just being the most stringent structured writer that there is. Now, if someone can just open up a page and be like, Oh, there's a Pat article. This is a Sia article. That is the, mm -hmm. the greatest thing that could happen to your career. So developing a voice in that way is super key and Cust really helped me cultivate that. And without him, you know, I wouldn't be doing this. You know, what's interesting about what you said about Cust, it's another prevailing theme across a lot of the shows I've already done is that having friends that are not, cheerleader friends and like constructive criticism friends like those are two different types of friends right there's the ones that are like yeah go for it they'll pat you on the back no matter what you what you do and then there's the friends that are encouraging you what you need or, or you should want and maybe you're encouraging them too but they're also being you know they're offering constructive criticism and you just gave a really good example it's a small example but a good example nonetheless of what your relationship is with him in that he's willing to criticize you because he wants you to get better that's what a friend is. Like, if you want to be a good friend to somebody who's really reaching for something, who's really goal oriented, 
you can't just be encouraging. You also need to be constructively critical. And uh, it sounds like there's a really good reason why Cust is, is one of your three guys. By the way, in the chat, um, we have a few people. Joe, he says uh, the SNS guest list is damn strong. It's going to get even stronger, hopefully with Brandon White from the Receiver Factory, who was also in the chat. He is a trainer, wide receiver coach to quite literally the best receivers in the National Football League. And uh, he lives right next door to me and hoping to get him on this show because this man not only is amazing uh, in the football realm, uh, this guy's doing a lot for his community and for the mindset of those in his community. And uh, it's super, super cool. So I'm really excited to get Brandon on the show. Pat, you've given me two. Cust, your wife. Who's number three? I will give you my biggest media influence, if that is okay. Absolutely. Never met him. Would love to. I actually think he might be working with the Meadowlark guys with Levitard and Adnan and Chris now. It's Dave Jacoby, uh, who was the EP of Grantland and all of their media back in the day. Uh, just, you know, kind of the guy who did everything. He wrote some fun columns on Grantland. He produced all their audio, all their video. Then he just became a host uh, doing everything from reality TV. And then he was on Jalen and Jacoby for years doing that show, talking about basketball and sports. It just feels like he, he's sort of the vibe that he's more chill than I am. Uh, so it's, you know, you can only be an extension of your personality, but he just seemed like a really good hang. And he seems like a really good hang. And he did everything at the same time. He just made it seem like this job was fun. And then every part of the job, whether it was producing, whether it was audio mixing, whether it was setting up segments to film like in a really weird studio to being on camera, he just made it all seem fun. And to listen to him felt like the biggest hang in the world. And that's all I ever really wanted my show to be. I love that. Um, let me ask you this before we get you out of here. Uh, Mayo Media Network, is there anything we should be looking forward to that's like on the horizon? Listen, I think everybody in the chat or anybody who's going to watch this show probably knows who you are, probably knows the Pat Mayo Experience, a podcast you absolutely should be downloading if you haven't already and listening to on a daily basis. Obviously, you have your YouTube channel, um, which people can find just by typing in Pat Mayo or the Pat Mayo Experience either way. Um, but with respect to all the other stuff you're doing, anything that we should be maybe looking out for? I, there could be something might be something coming in the new year that's not on mayo media network that is featuring okay. me well we'll i'll give you more details when it comes down to that but the return of fantasy football picks and bets will be coming in august we'll see if we can get the new sponsor for that show but other than that i think we have 12 shows that are running concurrently at the moment i mean the big shows my show obviously daily there's the cuss corners that drop periodically that are all back catalog that you can go and check out. i think there's 42 of them at this moment uh dogger pass which is i think the second biggest gambling or i think it's the biggest gambling mma show there is both audio and video wise that actually you know is about gambling it's not like hey here's this ufc fighter and there's odds on the screen no, no this one's actually about gambling and daily fantasy i mean dogger pass has been around for eight years now so we love having that on the network tambo and kenny with the fantasy golf degenerates sky mm -hmm. and tom for european golf i made the decision a while ago because we tried baseball and we did basketball and we did like f1 and stuff like this like people are here because of me what do i do i do golf i do football and paul and cody are my friends who've been on the network for ages and they have a huge mma show let's just lean into those things let's just have 
more golf shows covering different angles. Let's do more MMA, maybe in short form with Brett Apley, who gives out his DraftKings picks. Let's do more football. So not just my voice. I hired people a few years ago for fantasy football picks and backs. We scale that back a little bit, but it's just a different format to look at props and things like that, that let's just double and triple down on the things that I know that people like about this network and just roll with that. So we might be launching some new styles of show about football and about golf in the near future, but nothing like in the immediate horizon. And I saw someone's uh, comment, Joe's uh, comment about me spoiling a Meadowlark exclusive. I don't know. That's just what I assumed when he left ESPN. It could very well be the ringer, which actually makes a lot more logical sense. It just seems like Meadowlark has, because of DraftKings, has money to spend. That's right. Money to spend. Um, all right, Pat. Well, listen, it's been an hour and a half. You, uh, It's funny because you, you are the guest where I was extremely sensitive, or at least I thought going in, I was going to be extremely sensitive to your time because I know how busy you are. Um, and here I am. You are my longest guest, 90, we're going on 89 minutes here. So I apologize for keeping you so long. Uh, was there anything I, like, I cut people off all the time. Anything that I cut you off on where you just didn't get to finish a thought? No, it's funny. When you sent me the rundown, uh, the first thing about it was the show that I did with Steve McAllister last week. And I don't think we talked yeah. anything. We talked around that about the evolution of everything, but just like, and you brought the question about layoffs a little bit earlier with one of the viewers in the chat. Just, I'm very fascinated by that topic about how the industry actually works, but I'm not sure how many people are actually all that interested in it. It's a weird balance because if you release a show that covers ESPN or athletic layoffs and like what is the new TV contract coming up for the MLS or the digital rights of the PGA I find that shit super fascinating but I can't imagine that popular of a topic outside of people who actually work in this industry well I think when you get into stuff like digital rights and things of that nature especially when it comes to soccer which isn't a huge sport quite yet I, I think people will kind of tune you out but I thought what you and Steve talked about that show was last week I believe I, th I thought it was really interesting because you were, I mean, what you're really talking about is the landscape of media. And it's not just people who work in media, it's people who internalize what the media is, is providing. And so I actually think that's on like, cause you talked about it, I think in a, in a really much more macro than micro level. And I think that's interesting to everybody, to be honest with you. Yeah. I always try to approach things from a macro level, especially stuff that I'm not like, a, I, it's funny because would you consider me an expert on that area? Yes or no? Um, you're talking to somebody who's an attorney and like they, the expert thing is such a, I have such a high sort of threshold for that. I, I would say no, no, but you're in the hemisphere of it. Yeah. Like I feel like I can talk about it because I have a lot of experience within the business, but there are certain elements of it. I just don't have any clue about all I can do is speculate upon it. And so the only way that whenever I approach a subject like that, I try to take a more macro view of things because I think that speaking about something a bit more broadly and trying to focus in on one or two micro things that I actually do have experience with is really the only way that I can actually talk about it and seem somewhat credible. Yeah, I mean, it, also, you're so fully immersed in the in, in most parts of the industry that I, I, I suppose you would actually qualify as an expert on, on that topic. Sure, but let's say like something about laying the New York Times laying people off at The Athletic. Why? I mean, I have my theories on why. I'm probably right, but I don't actually know. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. All right. Well, Pat, thank you again for coming on to CNN Ajad Sports. Um, I, I look forward to working with you in the future. I'll tell you, there's one show idea, or I should say show concept, that I actually think I'm surprised. You, you've 
you, I'm not going to say it here. We'll talk privately, but you, you dove into these waters before. I'm surprised you're, you're, you're not, you're not in there. Cause I, I, you, I think the breadth of what you can do, Pat, in your universe, I think it's super wide. Um, and I, I understand just being like kind of narrow and just like hammering home the thing you, you're really good at, but Pat, I think you're good at everything. I'll be honest with you. And you were good enough to come onto this show. So I really appreciate you for that. Um, an hour and a half. I can't believe it. I'm sorry. I took so much of your time, but it seems like in the chat, um, it was extremely valuable time. I know a lot of people will watch this after the fact too. So Pat, thanks again for being on Sina Jot Sports. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And everybody stay tuned because we've had 13 episodes so far. If you haven't watched all of them, I highly encourage you to do that. But we're going to have 13 more and then 13 after that. This is going to be a show that is going to stay with you. So make sure you subscribe. Make sure your notifications are on. And we'll see you on the next one here at Sina Jot Sports.